This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Tuesday, 25th of October, 2022. Markets uh, recovering uh, reasonably well yesterday. There was an intraday sell-off. We have these treasury yields in the U.S. heading fairly sideways here, so no further drama there. This was also, uh, if we recall yesterday, in the wake of a, uh, a Wall Street Journal piece, the so-called Fed whisperer, Nick Timmerhouse, out with a spe- uh, speech, or a speech, an article uh, suggesting that the Fed is set to decelerate, or at least to discuss decelerating the pace of rate increases after the November meeting, which is expected to, to bring the 75 basis point move. Um I guess the Fed wanting to, for whatever reason, make sure that the market knows that and not wanting to trigger some new, perhaps excessive rally. I don't know what their purpose would be if indeed this was sort of an intentional, uh, someone calling this, I, I, I'm lucky to say this, a Nikki leak, uh, Nick Timmerhouse, Nikki leak uh, of Fed intentions. Regardless, uh, you know, sentiment stable. Uh, but the key thing, I guess, uh, Peter, is we have, well, we have two things here. The, the really the heart of earnings season is uh, gearing up here. And then geopolitically, this this massive event we've had at the weekend, which uh, according to some of the more clever commentary I'm seeing is suggesting that uh, this is just a, this this whole Hu Jintao being escorted off the stage at this uh, meeting was just an indication that, look, we have a sole authority now in China. It's not going to be market friendly. No, exactly. And that's the whole mm-hmm. uh, the whole phrase, common prosperity. We talked about it uh, yesterday, John. I mean, it's 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 in, in common uh, English language, it, you could translate that as, uh, you know, uh, not uh, common profits for shareholders, uh, because it's it's the, the whole the whole idea is that we're moving towards a, a much more state controlled economy. And that's also what we have seen with the regulation of the technology sector in China. And that will continue. That's also the whole idea about, you know, China's little giants, these different technology uh, pieces that will be supported by the uh, by the government. We had a discussion yesterday, John, and I and I extended sort of the conversation in, a, in an equity note that uh, that came out uh, last night. And I just on slide three, I just provide some of the charts you can go on uh, analysis.saxo and and read uh, through it. And I think one of the key takeaways here is that we talked about it yesterday. The Chinese risk premium is on the rise, and just you know to get some perspective, we have a PE ratio on the Hang Seng Composite Index, which is sixty percent below the S and P five hundred. That's a pretty significant spread. It has been quite considerably uh, or it has been quite large previously but we've just dipped into new territory it's just very large and and then one thing i'm showing and we didn't talk that much about it yesterday john so what happened in the wake of the invasion in in ukraine was that the cny bonds which were heavily marketed i think you and i have had discussion about this also on this podcast was very successful fund launch uh, by iShares BlackRock's uh, ETF business more than a year ago a lot of Billions and billions of dollars went into these CN, uh, CNY bonds because they have very had very high historical returns and very little correlated to all the other assets that you can put in an asset allocation. I even experimented with the asset class myself in asset allocation, and it just in, dr- drastically improves your sharp ratio. So it's like it's such an easy sell, right? But after the invasion of Ukraine, you began to see very significant outflows of this ETF. So people were selling off. CNY bonds, you didn't want to hold these bonds in case something happened globally. But interestingly enough, if you look at the iShares MSCI China A usage ETF fund, which you can see here on slide three, the number of outstanding shares, so in other words, how much capital that is committed to the fund and the underlying benchmark index actually have gone up this year. 
So <laughs> it's one story is the bond side of things, but then on the equity side, these constantly lower uh, equity prices in China was were seen as you know by the dip by foreign investors, and but what we have seen lately in the past two months is a a twelve percent reduction in the outstanding shares, and I think that I think what happened over the weekend is a major milestone, and I think a lot of investors will begin to reassess and adjust their portfolios uh, quite dramatically. And before you, you you chip into the conversation, John, I also just want to highlight that MSCI have created this index called MSCI World with China Exposure, and I've highlighted the, the top 10 holdings in that ETF. And besides those, I also highlight Apple, which gets uh, 20% of their revenue from China, and Tesla gets 25% of their revenue for China as two companies that are very important for U.S. equities that could be in jeopardy, or at least I think that this rising Chinese equity risk premium is not being fully reflected in a stock like uh, Apple or Tesla for that matter. Yeah. <clears throat> the only thing I was going to add is if you have this uh, allocation says you have to have 50%, 15% of your allocation to China, you keep having to top up that 15%. Mm. So your your exposure might actually continue to, uh, to be able to top that up. You have to continue to rotate more funds into that and sort of a mean reversion process. But uh, that's a good point. Yeah, but let's uh, let's see how that uh, shapes up from here. It is a massive signal. The market's uh, certainly giving its thumbs down to the whole uh, situation uh, because uh, the impression is that this is not a market with friendly event or certainly not a Chinese asset equities uh, friendly event. All right, just uh, briefly on uh, FX. So again, we have the U.S. Treasury yield sideways. Uh, risk sentiment stable, so the dollar is just sort of adrift here. But I think the most interesting thing by far, if we look on slide four, is that weak Chinese uh, yuan, uh, which is uh, a very broad phenomenon. So you know, it's a, it makes headlines. The dollar CNH has hit new highs here, but let's let's consider that the dollar is quite well off the highs. Uh, so look at something like euro, uh, yuan, or euro, uh, or other currencies versus the yuan, and you can see that it is uh, going lower here. This is a deflationary impulse coming out of China, uh, and of course, if it gets more volatile becomes a bigger issue. There was a big, uh, weak fixing on the dollar CNH, much weaker than, sorry, dollar CNY, uh, the uh, onshore version overnight. Uh, we did pull back a little bit, but this is a strong directional signal here. Uh, elsewhere, also Euroswiss, quite interestingly, hitting new highs and, and sort of looking like it's trying to break higher here, noting that the weekly site deposits are showing a very rapid declines. Uh, it looks like, uh, to me, that's an interesting development, suggests flight out of uh, uh, out of Switzerland, uh, and as well, uh, the S&B probably not wanting to pay a lot of uh, positive interest on those site deposits. So uh, tracking that phenomenon, uh, too. Now, one thing we have been tracking as well uh, here in Europe is the uh, price of gas. So we've talked a lot about it. We, we hit negative prices on the hour forward uh, basis, and that, that's a focus. But that's probably going to last, I guess, as long as it's mild weather. Uh, meantime, we're wondering on the crude oil side, and especially on the di uh, on the distillates and the diesel, I think that's where the big uh, still with the big one of the big pressure points is in the whole energy complex. That's exactly right, John. Um, but just uh, the gas story first. Yes, we did see uh, briefly negative prices yesterday in the hour ahead uh, or the next hour contract. Uh, just highlighting what we've been discussing recently that the the warm weather that we're seeing right now is really reducing demand. We also have. Uh, demand destruction already taking place uh, together with very high inventory levels that has put uh, prices on the pressure. But uh, uh, one thing is what the shenanigans in the spot market and the, and the very short term contracts. Another thing is what's happening later later into the winter. And that's really where, where I think industry will be looking for some comfort. And so far, we haven't really seen the peak winter contract for February uh, come, come down that much. It's still trading above 140 euros. 
if you look ahead to next winter, they're still trading above 130 euros. So we really need to see the, the long-term price projection start to come down as well. But obviously, the longer this, this mild autumn uh, continues, the more potential gas we have left in storage when we get out of the winter, and that will make the rebuilding efforts next uh, next spring and summer uh, somewhat easier. So, um, so yeah, it's um, it's a uh, it's it's on it's a good story for now from a consumer perspective. Turning to the oil market, well, if you just look at the Brent crude or the WTI price, not a lot is going on. We're we're range bound, but if you just open up the uh, the 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 bonnet and look into the engine room uh, you find tightness uh, in in the in the product market as you mentioned John and that's really what what are, is the main reason why we see uh, crude oil prices remain supported i've inserted here on slide 5 the uh, the crack spreads which we've shown before uh, you can see the red line these are the diesel, diesel cracks these are the most uh, elevated uh, at this point in time so it's basically that middle distillate barrel that uh, where we got short supply we got sanctions against russia reducing supplies to europe uh, early next year and at the same time we also got inventory levels around the world at, at uh, multi-year lows but just recently looking at some of the prompt spreads they have actually been blowing out these are the uh, november december spreads in gasoline in heating oil and uh, gas oil in europe and as you can see these these are these are not jumping for 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 the fun of it these are jumping because the market is 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 pricing in tights uh, even tighter conditions as we head towards december so uh, keep that in mind when uh, when you try to look at brent crude as potential uh, selling hedge against the recession it potentially not going to be be working out um and then the precious metal so you're bringing platinum to the discussion yeah for the first time in a while yeah i'm getting a little bit uh bored to talking about gold all the time because <laughs> it's 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 not doing much and we simply have to wait for this uh more a better feeling for when we have uh when we hit the peak uh, conditions in terms of uh of, of tightening uh, from the fed so obviously next F, next week's fmc meeting will be very important because there is some Beginning speculation that it may it, it might be the last of the bumper rate hikes, uh, the seventy five base point rate hikes. So uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, something like platinum, which is uh, again is a, more an industrial uh, driven metal, has uh, has been quietly making progress here, and uh, especially against the uh, the gold price. You can see it's it's actually outperformed gold by almost three hundred dollars since the low point earlier this year. And uh, we're getting close to some interesting levels, not only the 200-day moving average uh, on the price, but also on the, in terms of the spread, just uh, just uh, above $700 in the spread. Uh, there's there's some, a little bit of uh, of, uh, of resistance, you can say, for, for Platinum's ability to move even higher. So uh, so it's one that we, we're keeping an eye on. Um, Russia is one part, um, supply from South and South Africa, another one, um, the, but, uh, but generally it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's relatively strong performance simply because even though we, we've been seeing, uh, ETF holdings down 14% so far this year. So this is kind of markets holding up, even though this, the investment demand has been fading. So the industrial side of it seems to be providing su the support right now. Okay. Yeah, let's head over back uh, back over to the equity market because this is the really the first really big day uh, for the earnings season, as discussed a bit yesterday. Uh, what are you seeing here as we're coming into today? Unfortunately, I guess the really big names are not reporting until after the close. No, they're not. Um, and of course, the U.S. Uh, earnings will 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 take the lead here. Um, so, but in the meantime, we have a couple of earnings coming out in Europe this morning. Uh, DSV, one of the largest. Logistics firms in the world and the largest, I think, in, in I believe, in, in Europe. Uh, the company is beating on Q3 revenue and net income. They're also lifting their operating income outlook. But then they come out with a statement, which probably shouldn't be a big surprise. They expect a gradual decline in profitability next year due to lower logistics prices as we're coming off 
this very uh, intense period with bottlenecks in the global supply chain and also the slowdown of the economy is impacting prices, they say. Uh, HSBC, the pan-European slash Asian uh, uh, Chinese bank, if you will, um, beat on Q3 revenue and pre-tax profits. They're also replacing the CFO. There's not much to really say. It uh, was uh, quite a good report there for, for that bank. And then SAP, the largest software maker in Europe, is also beating uh, against estimates. And uh, it's partly because of a very strong performance in its cloud business. And then you could argue the most interesting story, I think, in terms of you know signal versus noise, is that Apple, for the first time ever, is raising its prices on services. So we have reported on this podcast that they... Apple is experiencing lower demand for their uh, for their hardware because of the cost of living crisis. People are quite clearly you know, extending the life of their of their older phones. And so to make uh, up for the rising input costs on on wages and potential also energy costs and the lower pricing price on hardware, they're raising their price on Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and Apple One. And I'm just putting out this question: Is this a sign that you know? Rising energy cost uh, is an impact now on, on data centers because they're quite energy hungry. And um, I, I would suspect that the prices that we have seen recently on electricity is eating quite substantially into the margins of these um, digital services. And then, as John would say, uh, a chaotic slide eight, just like yesterday, we haven't really eaten ourselves through any of this <laughs> yet, uh, but today we will. So if we, if we look ahead for the US session, we have Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, Visa, Texas Instrument, UPS, General Electric, Enphase Energy, and Halliburton as sort of my my main focus point. Microsoft being a very robust company, but I, I think they I think they are experiencing margin compression as well. I wrote about that in my uh, update yesterday. Alphabet, I'm very curious to see this because we had weaker than expected uh, you know revenue coming out from Snap last week. There is a deterioration in the demand. Uh, outlook for uh, for advertising uh, advertisers are under pressure, so I'm really curious to see whether Alphabet uh, how they navigate it. Also, because they can't do the same thing as Apple just did by raising their prices, because a lot of Apple's software services are uh, are grouped into a subscription, where Alphabet is just delivering all these free services that are just bundled up in a lot of systems, and then they sell advertising on that. So they, it's very difficult for Alphabet to really uh, be uh, you know to not just be a price take on this market and it's a bidding market <clears throat> and a yes. lot of the advertising as yes. well not a uh, sort of a fixed price no. situation exactly so so <laughs> that's that that's a key downside risk visa typically not a very interesting earnings read, so i won't say much about that uh, ups of course given what we have just seen from dsv expecting strong numbers and then maybe a slightly downward uh downward uh, revision to the outlook or just maybe saying to investors hey don't expect uh, fireworks next year general electric industrial order 3m as well very important to uh, to to watch that Enphase Energy in the renewable space. Halliburton, we we saw from Slumpershay last week, very strong results in the oil services business, and this this part of the industry is really on fire. Recently, could be a sign that investors are expecting capex to uh, significantly be increased over the over the next year here. So so watch out for for Halliburton, and then Texas Instrument is, if I believe correctly, from that top ten list we talked about. Uh, yeah, we talked about on slide three. Go back to that. It's actually the top. Uh, it's number three. Uh, with it's it's the third company out of that list out of fifty one companies with the highest um exposure to China. So um, I, I think that makes that Texas Instrument earnings be even more interesting. I suppose in components uh, to a lot of electronics that are still produced, uh, obviously out in Asia, 
Okay, macro calendar. I pretty much highlighted the week uh, yesterday. Just want to point out a couple things. We have a two-year uh, uh, treasury note auction today, which means we have a five-year tomorrow, seven-year on Thursday. Consumer confidence is up today. Let's see if that uh, continues to improve. Uh, often coincides historically with the lagging indicator in the economy, which is which is the jobs market, but still interesting. And we have this uh, home price index. Uh, these are very slow to come in, but this one for August. Expecting, I think it's around a minus 0.8% drop month on month. Uh, the July number was the first one for the cycle to drop. Uh, safe to say we'll be dropping, but um, it, for perspective, for as long as you've been sitting in your house for, for a while, it's not a particularly uh, you know terrible thing to note that uh, prices are still up, supposedly some 14% year on year in August. Uh, if we come in as expected there. So it does take a long time for these prices to work through, or sorry, the, the effects of the higher interest rates to work through to actual housing prices. But the work through, they will, and it'll eventually coincide with a weakening economy uh, next year. All right, let's let's uh, let's see where things stand tomorrow. There's a lot coming up in the earnings space, and uh, we're getting to key technical levels. Uh, we didn't really mention those on the S&P 500. Actually wanted to maybe brief, re briefly recap what's going on there. We have this local pivot high here around 38 uh, 25 or so on the December future. You can see back on slide two. If we're continuing to break higher and sentiment's brightening further, there's a, quite a cluster of uh, interesting moving averages up there and a uh, resistance level from the prior pivot low, uh, Fibonacci retracement, et cetera, just around 3,900 and maybe extending up to 3,925. So that's the next area of interest, uh, but still very much in a, a bear market until proven uh, otherwise. All right, let's see uh, where we are tomorrow uh, when we'll be back with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>